0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language and depressingly familiar tropes.
1: Thursday the 23rd of November 2017. Tonight we explore one of the world's greatest coincidences. Everybody connected to the Trump campaign happens to be lying about their Russian contacts. Meanwhile President Donald Trump finally does something sensible... The president has decided he wants to
2: nuke Iceland tomorrow.
1: And we bring you the latest in science. The earth is flat. This is the 9pm. The earth is flat and so's your mum. Look, well, I'm, uh, I'm glad you could join us uh, at the end of the world here. Uh, Just a few things that have happened since the last time we spoke. Actually, no, before I do that, let me just tell you about the last 28 minutes left in the 9pm Edict Summer Series Possible campaign. If you're listening to this live, uh, we are asking, I am asking for your contributions to help make uh, some extra podcasts over summer. On a possible campaign, we have reached the first target, so there will be two episodes at least. I'll tell you all about them shortly. But if you go to stilgarian.com slash summer, it's really hard, stilgarian.com slash summer, you still have... 27 minutes left to go. If you're listening on the live stream, be aware it it is buffered a bit. So the time now, as I'm saying this out of my mouth, is 9.02pm and 38 seconds, 9.40, etc. So you're probably hearing me about a minute after that, so you don't have long left to go to stillgeriancom slash summer. Also... Uh, before I get on to the other things it's it 's very hard for me to to do something topical about this because it's it's moving so quickly but the uh, the situation on Manus Island with the Australian Government seemingly in charge of clearing out people that it 's not responsible for uh, from a quote refugee processing centre unquote I prefer to call it by its actual name a concentration camp uh it is ugly. And because it's moving so fast, I don't really have anything to uh, add to that as we're recording tonight. Maybe I'll uh, look back at that uh, in a future episode. But as I say, things that have happened since the last time we spoke. All right, Australia got rid of all homophobia. That was good. That's been successful, hasn't it? Of course, it's still not going to happen. Dual citizenship is a thing. I'm particularly impressed with with the way that so many members of Australia's parliament have failed to actually know what country they're a citizen of. I don't know how you actually go through life achieving that level of ignorance. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm all for ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. The less you know about the hell that is happening in the world around you, the more you can continue on with your uh, your normal life. But uh, these chaps, I don't know. Uh, what else has been happening? Oh, the United States is taking a look at the the procedures by which the president authorises the deployment of nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons! Uh, it's apparently the first time uh, that there's been any sort of congressional investigation into this in 41 years. Uh, I can't do the maths in my head. When's that? 75? That's probably back... Seventy, eighty-five, ninety—that—that that would be back when. Uh, uh, what was his name? Flappy jailed uh, uh, Ruper- Rupert Nixon? Where did that come from? Richard Nixon uh, was president, and I think that were uh, that was sort of when he was putting forward the Madman strategy as well. Uh, if you want to know about uh, that, go to um, where is it? Uh, War is boring dot com and and they've got a lovely uh, essay there on the madman strategy uh, for nuclear uh, standoffs. It's very reassuring. Anyway, the United States is looking at that uh, those procedures for the first time in forty one years. And what else? Oh, Trump did uh, a tour of uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia. That went very well, didn't it? Um, There was a lot of that on the the national security podcasts, of course, about how Trump did. One of the clips I like uh, that I'm going to play for you tonight uh, using technology is uh, from the wonderful podcast Bombshell, um, where the ladies are looking back at uh, really how China has changed under its last two premieres and uh, Trump's response.
3: You have Deng who really emphasizes the, the the economic reorientation toward at least pseudo market um, reopening. Uh, and then you have now you have Xi who's really focused on the security piece and bringing China up to global standards with regard to um, military infrastructure and equipment and potentially security competition. That's certainly where folks are. Um to the you know, I remember debating China topics in the mid nineties and there were we would read cards from Joe Nye, uh, <laughs> you know, which were all about engagement, engagement. We could we could sort of if we you know, the sort of they were I think called the panda huggers of the world, you know, we wrap our arms around China and we could bring them into bring this bring them sort into of a liberal international world order. And yeah. basically nobody talks about that exactly anymore right it's really it seems to me in the last few years that the conversation has really moved toward managing the competition yeah and that there's very little hope of any sort of political liberalization to go along with the economic liberalization that's happened within china so you know obviously folks keep an eye on that pretty pretty carefully but that's um she really seemed to as you said lauren you know uh consolidate his holdings, you know, in this particular effort. Well, and as Lauren pointed out, our own president said, that's great. Green light, right? You go for it. Thumbs up. And so since he's been enshrined in this way, he's really shrunk the maneuver space for his domestic opponents. And he's right. basically told his major competitor abroad, uh, I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, as a competitor, our president has said, sure. Sounds great. That's great. great. We yeah. have this in common now.
1: Wonderful. Uh, so really, uh, Trump is seeing uh, China as just another business, and it's North Korea he wants to nuke, and as you heard in the uh, introduction, Iceland apparently, although that may have been a hypothetical uh, hypothetical example from the uh, Arms Control Wonk podcast. It's hard to tell, really. Um, am I getting too wonky and particularly too... International nuclear kind of strategy wonky on this podcast? Do let me know. I mean, it's something that I've become even more interested in as uh, time goes by. Uh, and, and I think you'll agree, it is kind of a thing in the world at the moment. Uh, what else has been happening? Oh, Uber. Uber, yes. Uh, who decided this week to reveal that a year ago they had a massive data breach. Uh, and they paid hackers $100,000 to hush it up. But the new CEO uh, decided this week to sort of fess up. Uh, yes, the information on 600,000 drivers and 57 million customers uh out there for the world to see. But they've said, look, nothing to see here. There's not a problem. Uh, yeah, we did cover that up, but it's all okay now. I wondered earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday on Twitter, that how long will it be until we decide that be the Uber for X actually means be a cunt about X? And I also wonder, well, some people said we, we were already there, we were there years ago, and there's an argument for that. But I also wonder when politicians who've publicly supported Uber and, and promoted it as some sort of futuristic way of doing business are, are going to start retracting their support, or at least... Uh, giving it a bit of, uh, a bit of nuance. Kin Lane, who's, uh, well, API evangelist and does geeky things online. He, he proposed, uh, that we, we need a new tool called Uber Translate, a tool which translates when anyone says they're the Uber for X into reality. For example, I'm the Uber for education translates into my company will leak the personal information of your children on the web and lie about it. I'm the Uber for Education. I could be the Uber for education uh or or not um what else what else? Oh uh another example i I have been listening not just to uh national security stuff but podcasts about American society because obviously it's going through a great change uh, or two at the moment. You may have noticed America. Bit of a thing happening there. And uh, I, I caught the other day a thing from The Atlantic, have a, a podcast called Radio Atlantic. They were up all night thinking of that one. And uh, a recent episode entitled The Making of an American Nazi uh, spoke to uh, the author of an article I had on that by Luke O'Brien. And he had some interesting things to say about where the indoctrination of the alt right comes from, and uh, he he kind of linked it back to uh, message boards in particular, eight uh, chan and four uh, chan.
0: So if you do spend some time on there, even if you are a sane person, a well educated person uh, with some some you know critical thinking ability. There is something seductive about it. There is something uh, seductive about these unexplained mysteries about how our society works and asking these questions uh, under the pretense of seeking out the truth as if some form of endless Internet debate is going to surface the truth without actual facts and actual information. But thousands of people do engage in this activity. And so – it really it can it can play with your head if you spend too much time in these things and you know you'll start wondering well wait maybe this conspiracy about this Jared Kushner connected company having something to do with the Golan Heights and the Syria missile strike that Trump ordered against Syria maybe there's actually something to it and let's why don't we dig into the financial records of this company and find out Every single person who's on the board of this company and do deep dives on their backgrounds and people will spend hours and hours and hours and days doing this stuff. And, you know, where does that lead? It leads to more of this kind of, you know, circular conspiratorial thinking, which in my mind, the way I imagine it is sort of either a rabbit hole or something kind of circling a drain, descending precipitously down to this depth where – you find all kinds of far more toxic conspiracy theories, such as the the Holocaust denial, for example.
1: And as uh, the presenter of the podcast said a little later, the internet is Holocaust denial all the way down. Although perhaps with something even worse at the bottom was suggested. I don't know what that would be. What would be worse than Holocaust denial? You'd have to be pretty ambitious, wouldn't you? I'll come back to the, the, the whole mentality of, of people who spend ages trying to find links between things i mean if you if you look at something long enough you're bound to find a link if you if you research down into the depths of a company uh connected with the president then you're eventually going to find a a middle manager who once lived in israel you know, i mean that's just the odds isn't it but why aren't they revealing that Uh, You've got about 15 minutes left to go to stillgerrian.com slash summer. Thank you to a couple of new supporters there. Uh, I I can't browse through all the details while I'm trying to keep track of what I'm saying, but uh, thank you very much. If we can get that up to the next uh, intermediate target in the next 15 minutes, that'll be another whole public house forum episode, uh, as well as the one which is scheduled for the 17th of December. As I say, I'll tell you a bit more about that as we go. The Trump administration really is being quite interesting at the moment, isn't it? I mean, who is not being subpoenaed or asked to give evidence or whatever? And I found uh, this particular interesting comment from uh, Ted Lieu, who's a Democrat congressional member. Congressman was the word I was struggling to say. uh, From California, he was talking the other day uh, to CNN's Wolf Blitzer.
0: The issue really is no longer was there collusion between Trump campaign officials and Russia The issue is how far up did that go? We know from Trump campaign official George Papadopoulos' guilty plea that he tried to collude with Russia, and who knew about it? Well, Jeff Sessions knew about it. Who else knew about it? And with all the reporting that we're seeing today, how people try to connect the dots between Trump campaign and Russia, it's one big dot. Wolf, that's what we're seeing. It's just staring us in the face everybody connected to the Trump campaign happens to be lying about their Russian contacts. That can't be a coincidence.
1: Well, do you well it could be a coincidence. Couldn't it? Karski B on the Twitters has just pointed out that it would be safe to say the only thing worse than Holocaust denial would be Holocaust execution. It's got a point. Uh, oh, I just stopped myself there. I was about to suggest there's only one way to tell which one is worse. Oh, dear not even half an hour in, and we're already uh, planning to commit a holocaust. Democracy is a tricky thing, obviously, uh, as we're discovering people have been uh, complaining about the current President of the United States, even though he was elected by a process called everyone voting and the system in place delivering him as the voters requested according to the way they voted. I mean, you can't argue with that people are, of course, saying, oh, it's terrible and democracy is wrong. No, that's that's how the American democracy is structured and that's how people voted and none of that was a secret and that's how it turned out. Now, you may not like that, but, but of course we do have the option of changing. And the last clip I'm therefore going to play in this segment is from uh, British comedian Richard Herring and uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, which I thoroughly recommend. It's one of my favourites. And uh, his guest recently was Armando Iannucci, the creator of The Thick of It and the character Malcolm Tucker, the creator of Veep in the the US, uh, writer and director of the new film The Death of Stalin, which uh, has just been released in the UK and possibly elsewhere, I don't think it's come to Australia yet, which is exceedingly disappointing. And uh, you can insert your own rant about that here. But uh, in in that episode, uh, Inuichi responded to uh, Richard Herring's uh, comments about well about democracy.
4: It's sort of the flaw with democracy, isn't it, that people are stupid, so we should ask <laughs> their opinion. But it's about, yeah. it's about, you know, that's right. what my dad used to say. He was uh, he. he fought in the partisans during the war against Mussolini and then moved to the UK. He never took UK citizenship. And we always used to say, well, you can't vote. He said, what's the point of vote? The last election I took part in, Mussolini got in. You know, and that's, that is a theme, which is what I was saying about it's good that more people are registering now. You've got to protect democracy and, and don't think because you have democracy it's with you permanently and it's perfect. It has to be continually... Sort of renewed and and participated. Yeah. You know, otherwise, if it if
1: it gets frayed at the edges, this is what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know? well, it's very people easy to fill the it, vacuum.
4: It's very easy to take it for granted. I think that's you know, and you yeah. sort of think all that stuff in the past is in the past. Yeah. All that people amusing no. is in the past but there's no reason why he can't definitely... you know. In some no. parts of the world, obviously, it still does, mm-hmm. does exist. But I was, I was talking to someone, I like, did a panel show in Scotland, and they were mm-hmm. talking about Brexit, and the woman said, the, the, the people have spoken, we have to respect their right. And you kind of go, yeah. well, what, even if you're, yeah. if you're driving off a cliff and the drivers driving and you've all agreed to you do, do agree it... You've all agreed to drive off. <laughs> and, and then you suddenly then you go, go, hang on. <laughs> no, you're allowed to
1: change your mind. <laughs> you know?
4: You it's just, like this scene they shot at the end of Thelma and Louise, where yeah. Thelma says,
1: actually, can we turn around? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's, it's,
4: this, is, this is pretty stupid. This yeah. is the best a Pyrrhic victory.
1: Oh, but couldn't it be wonderful? Planet Earth facing its Thelma and Louise moment right now. Are you ready to jump off the edge? Off the edge of the flat Earth. It all joins up. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to the Edict. <laughs> we have got about 10 minutes left to go to stillgerian.com slash summer. I'll be looking at the totals uh, in just a moment. Earlier today, my attention was drawn to the outstanding work of Katsuki Uehara, who is a Japanese chap, as you might have understood by the name, uh, who sent out an email to uh, my commissioning editor, Chris Duckett at ZDNet and others, uh, talking about UFO flight theory and plasma flight technology. And, and I thought I would just introduce you to this, uh, this wonderful stuff because I had previously been unaware of it. Apparently, by crossing radio waves emitted from three separate points, where they intersect, you create a plasma core. Did you know this? This plasma core can then be wrapped around the UFO's body and from there it can fly around in any direction it pleases by manipulating that plasma intersection point. And furthermore, by creating a plasma tunnel... And flying within it, the UFO is able to teleport itself. Now, I, I, I think this is really important technology, so I'm going to um, expand upon this a bit. So inside this UFO, which is enveloped by a plasma core, the outside world is completely shut out. And there's an independent plasma gravity field inside that. And as such, the craft can move at incredible speeds, and any sudden movements while you're inside that remains completely stable so it's this is the technology that we're really after here and all you do is cross radio waves at three separate uh, from three separate points now the technology to equip a UFO with a device to emit radio waves from three different points and form a plasma core at that point where they intersect and to move the UFO all of that is already completed and being used in certain quote, advanced countries. Of course, this includes the technology to create plasma tunnels and use them for teleportation. I didn't know about this. So, so uh, again, I think we need to know about that. And, you know, why shouldn't we have this? Because if you made a large-scale passenger vehicle using this plasma flight technology, people could travel both more cheaply and faster, more safely, without having to worry about the weather it would be great, uh, says uh, uh, Katsuki san, uh, for a great peaceful advancement of humanity. And he hopes that the day when this plasma flight technology is used not only for military applications, uh, but for the peace and progress of all humanity is not far off. Uh, Katsuki san has um, some other theories about the sun. Uh, The sun, he points out, has the super-biggest, huge oceans and continents. (coughs) Excuse me. Ah, the these sun people are are punishing me for. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. The sun people are punishing me for revealing their secrets because the sun is not made from hydrogen, says Kusuki-san. The plasmas which is fulfilled in the universe and the electricity which is current in the universe and innumerable magnetic poles and magnetic fields of the sun make and cause the super biggest huge heats and lights of the sun. Super biggest huge. That is a lot. That is a lot and big. The sun is not burning. There is no nuclear fusion in the sun. Therefore, the sun is forever. Uh, this is... Uh, this is just part of the excellent uh, work of Katsuki Uehara and, and I think you'll be pleased to know that he also writes music. This is Moonlight Dance. as I can cope with. That's uh, uh, Kasuki Ohara. and I think I need to finish uh, by telling you that you know while there is just four minutes to go, to uh, go to stillgarian slash summer and put in your credit card details or PayPal details and all of that stuff. Uh, the suicide says uh, Kasuki San is the most is the most biggest sin next to murder, and uh, the most important thing. Is because they've killed their body's life, which God gave them. People must live until the real end of their life as the duty which is given by God. So suicide people must be fallen down to hell by the most biggest sin next to murder. They killed their own life, which was given by God. You may notice a certain repetitiveness here. I'm just reading the words. They never can go to heaven, and hell's long, long suffering and agonies are waiting for the suicide people. It's more far-hard sufferings and agonies than they're having it in this alive earth world. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, yes, I'm not up to reading this in the original Japanese, uh, so I'm not quite sure where the translation came from. So excuse the grammar. Remember this, says Kazuki-tan, people's characters will grow only by their life sufferings and agonies. Right. And he finishes that section by saying, bullying is far... Is more far deeper sin than theft. The fellow who bully weak people are more inferior than monkey. And uh, I believe it was uh, oh, who did put on Twitter someone earlier, and I forget who now, but pointed out that last bit sounds distinctly personal. Perhaps we know where he gets his thoughts from. <laughs> Well, I think now it's time for Nicholas Fryer and a look through the arch window.
4: I'm not talking about politics this week. Fans of posturing will no doubt be enjoying the gay marriage fiasco, but I'm over it. And I just can't be asked making fun of the dying spasms of the government of the Tom Bombadil of Australian Prime Ministers. So instead, I think we should pause for a moment to acknowledge the work of the University of Queensland School of Earth and Environmental Sciences. Actually, we should all pause to acknowledge the minor miracle that the University of Saudi Arabia in Thongs even has a School of Earth and Environmental Sciences, and I assume, because I am an expert on the state, that it occupies a converted Besser Block toilet in Mackay, has a full-time equivalent academic staff of about 1.5, and the Dean is an animatronic Jesus made of coal. Be that as it may, and no doubt in deference to political and fiscal realities, the school of ENES is obviously one of the go-to places for the study of extinctions that the resources and energy sectors definitely weren't responsible for. In other words, if you're into extinct kangaroos, you should chuck them or follow, because they're under some cracking work over there, despite the conditions. As I've had cause to flag up before, and for the benefit of weird foreign types, Australia used to host a wide variety of fascinating mammals that became extinct in the last 50,000 years or so, such as diprotodons, marsupial lions and moderate conservatives. The cause of these extinctions is hotly debated, especially amongst people, which is what you'd expect, given the usual tendency of any group to want you to, oh my god, look over there, while they toss the gnawed bones of their victims over their shoulders and hastily wipe their greasy fingers on their brother-in-law. The two main competing theories to explain the die-offs seem to be that either the megafauna were killed by strange and sudden climatic changes occurring after millions of years of stability that just coincidentally took place straight after the most invasive and rapacious species the world has ever known turned up, started burning down the forests and eating them, or they weren't. At least some extinctions of hypercool former Australians, though, can't be blamed on the dining habits of newcomers, because they took place millions of years before the introduction into Australia of barbecues, brothers-in-law, or irritating relatives by marriage of any sort. Among those long-dead ex-Aussies are some being poked at by the very smart people at the U of Q, specifically kangaroos with fangs. There are heaps of extinct macropods. So many so, in fact, that the taxonomists have started just taking the piss with the names of them, which is why we have genera such as Cookaroo, Silverroo, and Balbaroo. That last genus includes my favourite named species of all, a fanged kangaroo called Balbaroo fangaroo, which, absolutely no doubt, was first suggested by somebody trying hard not to let the smoke escape from their lungs just before they fell off their camp stool and giggled at a truly hilarious nearby volume of empty space. Now, I don't know about you, but I am struggling to imagine any circumstance, social or political, which would not be improved by the addition of a bunch of fanged kangaroos. The opening of Parliament, the Logies, Q&A, all of them are crying out for the introduction of a couple of dozen bounding, muscular, easily startled creatures, equipped with a pair of dental carving knives. I'd buy a ticket... And I know that I wouldn't be alone. The picture lacks only one element to make it perfect. According to the uni's Kayleen Butler, despite their dentition, or rather I imagine, because of the rest of it, she and her colleagues are pretty confident that the little beasties were grazers. I'm personally not convinced that they haven't missed a trick here, because while her bivery is all well and good, it's always sensible to have a backup career, it seems a pity to waste your best feature. I'm just saying that you don't need incisors to drink the blood of your downed and panicked victims once you've got them by the throat and all. Be that as it may, the evidence also apparently points to a tragic missed opportunity. While they were relatively diminutive, think sort of medium dog size, they were getting larger right up until they suddenly weren't. In other words... If only they'd got through whatever crisis it was that offed them. Ten million years later, the first human Australians might have wandered into a landscape covered in three-metre-tall vampire kangaroos with robust views about unauthorised maritime arrivals. And then, providing the startled proto-Aborigines survived that little welcome to country, when the second Australians turned up 50,000 years later in tall ships and red coats, they might have been met by warriors riding them like Tontons. What's that, Joseph Banks? What do we call that creature? We call him whatever he fucking wants, white boy, and I recommend you do the same. I don't know about you, but I think that's a world we're just a little bit poorer for having missed out on.
1: the nine p m edict summer series possible campaign has just closed, and uh, while i 'm fairly sure all of the uh, bits and pieces will be in the uh, in the website at stillguer slash summer uh, what I have in front of me is is the tentative final total fifty seven supporters. Uh, exceeded the first target of $2,500, uh, to reach a total of $2,807, which means we have two podcasts, uh, happening before Christmas and they will be on the afternoon of Sunday, the 17th of December, uh, the day after the uh, Benelong by election in New South Wales and the Queensland uh, state election, and probably other bits and pieces as well, uh, the day after that, we will gather at a, a pub somewhere in the seat of Benelong, which is kind of uh, West Ride or Epping or that sort of area in Sydney. Details TBA uh, for Public Health House Forum number no. five. That's on Sunday the 17th of December, and then on Tuesday the 19th, Tuesday night, there'll be a, quote, regular, unquote, episode of this podcast. Uh, I'll be contacting all of the people who've uh, contributed to let them know uh, how they can uh, uh, sort of uh, retrieve their benefits, probably with a, a kind of squid jag would work. Just be careful which end goes in first and and uh, i'll of course I'll let everyone know uh, which pub and who the guests will be in due course if you've just missed getting through uh, to the possible campaign, I'll tell you what if you go to stilgarion slash tip Make a one-off contribution there. And uh, uh, for for those received uh, until uh, the end of Sunday, let's say that they go into the same pot and get the kind of benefits uh, in those special podcasts as well. Uh, But I I will mock you for being slightly late. Does that sound fair? I think that sounds fair. Uh, just going through the uh, the notes here. Uh, uh, I've mentioned I've mentioned the big sin. I've mentioned the oceans of the sun. Dual citizenship. Ah, I know what time it is. <coughs> it's elephant stamp time. <laughs> Elephant stamp time. Each episode of this podcast and or when I remember, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And I have three, which I'll go through very quickly because I don't have any audio cuts for them. And you get, you get bored with just me talking. I can tell. You kind of wander off, don't you, and, and get bored. I mean, I would too. I don't know why anyone listens to the podcast, really. Uh, first elephant stamp goes to the entire cryptocurrency industry, uh, not just Bitcoin, the entire thing. Because according to a website that I just lost on my screen, where is it? There. Bitcoin mining now consumes more electricity than 159 countries, including Ireland and most countries in Africa. The basic thing about Bitcoin is that when you're mining it, that is doing all the calculations to create new Bitcoin and and maintain the system, uh, you... You, you really have to kind of chew through some calculations. And calculations need computers, and computers run on electricity. And according to the Digiconomist's Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, that's actually a thing, as of Monday, November the 20th, Bitcoin's current estimated annual electricity consumption is 29 terawatt hours which is 0.13% of total global energy consumption which uh, if you ranked bitcoin miners as a country they'd be 61st in the world in terms of countries using electricity and this is this is not to to sort of light and heat homes or run industry this is just to run the financial transactions so Class, class act there, and a uh, an elephant stamp to the entire Bitcoin industry for helping just warm the planet, uh, with just the financial system. Karski says he's uh, already taken up a cocaine habit because I've been talking for five minutes. My God, how's he going to get through the next segment? That's what I want to know. Uh, second. Uh, elephant stamp goes to uh, yet another startup which is both an initial coin offering this is a thing where unlike an an IPO where you float on the stock market and your, your investors get shares in the company, an ICO an initial coin offering means that the investors get a bunch of crypto coins of unknown value I mean, all right, shares are of unknown value until a company succeeds either. But we now have this whole idea where startup land intersects with the cryptocurrency world to create initial coin offerings. So anyway, we have this new one called Skedaddle, which is calling itself an Uber for buses, or as you might call it, buses. Uh, But they, they got a new blockchain project that aims to completely eliminate tipping. I mean... You could just eliminate tipping by being a cunt, but no, no, they, they have to use the blockchain for that. And the idea is using this blockchain, i.e. things are kept permanently forever on a public ledger, users can rate any interaction with a service worker and that rating acts as a tip, so somehow this connects with the currency, but also that permanent record of every service interaction that person has had goes with them from job to job right so you can have one really bad experience 5 years ago with a complete asshole of a customer who rates you way way down and you can never get rid of it you can never improve so hats off elephant stamps off to uh, skedaddle uh, and if you look for them you'll see a photograph of such a typical bloody start-up bros, you'll, you know, it won't be pants off, let me tell you. And the final elephant stamp of approval goes to someone known only as Belinda. And I would like to thank uh, Josh Taylor, editor, news editor of uh, BuzzFeed uh, Australia, for bringing this uh, important thing to our attention. Last Wednesday, on the very evening of uh, the same-sex marriage result. so the, the night before, Belinda, who's a no-voter, an outspoken no-voter in Perth, she owns a beauty salon and she received a gay wedding request, which, of course, is the the, the worst thing. Um, But Belinda received a booking inquiry on her salon's Facebook page from a gay couple called Brad and Chris, of of course. Of course they were called Brad and Chris. For a full-body wax to make our honeymoon extra special. Yeah, talk about euphemisms. But Belinda says her Catholic face, uh, Catholic face, her Catholic faith prevents her from endorsing a gay we- wedding. And as Josh puts it, a deeply Catholic beautician doesn't want to wax some gay balls. That that really is what freedom is about, isn't it? And uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad that Belinda has somehow found within within Catholic doctrine, something about waxing the balls of gay men. Um, I, I, there's probably an extra uh, level of hell for Belinda, for some reason or other, of course. Uh, so that, ladies and gentlemen, are our three elephant stamps for this episode. <laughs> I would like to thank uh, my well friends, uh, but, but the people that I know over at the Guardian Australia uh, for launching this week uh, the the voting for Australian Bird of the Year twenty seventeen. Um, very easy to find on the Guardian website. Uh, the voting's open until ninth of December, but I, I think, I think we we really have uh, the answer here in front of us already. Uh, they've they've put up a short list of fifty one bird species for people to vote uh, for, uh, and it already became clear that the winner is not. Uh, the laughing kookaburra as it's called which is uh, in third place at the moment or the Australian magpie in second place it's not even the superb fairy wren down at one two three four fifth place rainbow, lor- rainbow lorikeet at sixth wedgetail eagle down at eighth and it goes down from there no in the lead uh, by by a country mile as they say is the Australian white ibis or the uh, the the infamous bin chicken uh, now for those of you who don't know this, I, I, am pleased to discover that, that there is a song, uh, about them called A Song About Words, A Song About Birds, A Song About Birds. It is called A Song About Birds. Uh, and it's written and performed by, uh, Christian van Vuren. And, uh, I, I think to, to really explain, uh, The Bin Chicken, you need to listen to it right now.
2: The woodpecker bird likes pecking wood The bluebird's a bird that sings pretty good Sparrows are a bird that are pretty cool, eh? But the ibis is a bird that drinks bin juice all day A crow is a bird with a heaps mad squawk A cockatoo's a bird with a sick mohawk Chicken is a bird that tastes good and lays eggs And ibises are bin juice drinking dregs A goose is a bird that's chilled like a duck An ibis is a bird that's a picnic-wrecking fuck Doves are birds that represent purity Ibises wreck picnics and disrupt the community Penguins are birds that fall in love and mate for life But ibises love nothing because they're dead inside Swan is a bird that's graceful and that And ibises aren't birds, they're feathered bin rats Ibises, finches drinking drunks Yeah, the Iberts Their beaks are gross and long It's the Iberts Picnic wrecking jerks Yeah, the Iberts They're the worst birds Condor is an awesome bird of oh, prey. A hawk's a bird that's a cool bird. A eh? the eagle bird soars through the sky as it hunts. But ibises are binge drinking cunts. The albatross bird lives to sixty, maybe older. A parrot is a bird living on a pirate's shoulder. Parrots say cool shit like "Polly want a cracker." But ibises just fucking come up and harass ya A lorikeet's a bird with a colourful jacket. Ibises can fuck off back to their home planet. A seagull's a bird that scabs hot chips. And there's only one bird that's scabbier than this. Ibises. They're Ibis. the picnic wrecking irons. I hope they don't come near us, yeah the idol they're binge-drinking jerks, it's the idol they're the fucking shit-ass birds. Ibis is a picnic wrecking burden on humanity, a dumpster diving bin chicken disrupting the community, annoying the general public at every opportunity, disgrace to feathered creatures bringing shame on the bird family. If there are any Ibises watching this, firstly, there's no bingos here, so you can fuck off. Secondly, get a job and fucking do something with your life. Sort it out, you're on the road to nowhere. Go migrate to that garbage island floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean or some shit. I don't know. I'm not your dad. I can't tell you how to live your life. Just stop wrecking everyone's picnics. Fuck. It's, it's the ibis. Spin juice drinking cunt. It's, it's the ibis. That's ruining your lunch. It's yeah, the ibis. Picnic wrecking jerk. It's, it's the idol. What a fucking kind of a bird. A if I was an so I'd go kill myself. The thing about the ibis, though, is, is yes,
1: alright, they're a cunt of a bird, but they're also magnificent. An ibis can eat a cane toad. An ibis, well, an ibis can eat broken glass, really. An ibis can eat, eat almost anything that it can get down its gullet. I, I mean, they're just, they're just wonderful. But, but, for the bird of 2017 it's not a vote for the best bird or the most popular bird it's a vote for the bird of 2017 and i i think that looking back at the year so far all right it's not completely over but clearly clearly the ibis is the bird we have to have for the year 2017 that we had to have uh, that song by uh Christian Van Vuren uh, now during the discussions of this the other day, and I, uh, yeah, I know that I'm getting complaints about plugging, you know, Bird of 2017 again, but fuck you. Um, I wondered what bird Mark Latham would pick. Latho. Now, if you're outside Australia, you may not know who Mark Latham is. Uh, let me just... He, he He has been chucked off most television stations he's been on, at least as a, a host of a program, though he's still a guest. He has a... A, a YouTube program which, you know, puts him on the same level as me. Uh, and and here's just a few uh, recent episode titles or recent items from Mark Latham's Outsiders because, of course, Mark, Mark Latham is uh, is is being silenced even though he has a newspaper column and does media appearances and has his own program and is continually in the media. He recently interviewed My, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, the, the kind of, Nazi cunt. Uh, he uh, he he is a, he got a section on um, oh here we go on on racism against white people, which he he thinks is worrying. Um, here we go. Uh, political correctness is overrunning our country. Spend nearly an hour on that one. Um, James Damore, that cunt who decided that uh, women aren't. Made, aren't sort of structured the right way to do software development and was there. Was among, now, that was amongst reasons he was sacked from Google. He got a one hour run on Mark Latham's Outsiders. Um, you get the idea. He's just, he's just an angry old white man who thinks, who thinks he's got it tough even though he's on a really quite comfortable parliamentary pension because he used to be a um, member of parliament. He was actually leader of the Labour Party for a while, which is a frightening thought. So I thought, what sort of bird. Would he have chosen, and I've got a bunch of uh, suggestions on Twitter which I'll I'll zoom through now. Jim Campbell thought a lame duck, which I quite like. Christopher Owen, probably the coal because it will not be silenced. Good choice. Peter Logue, the great crested shite hawk. Is that a thing? I don't think so. Hippopotamus suggested a drongo, which is a kind of crane in Australia, but it's, it's of course, Australian slang for a thick person. Old Man Tim suggested probably a seagull. They white, their scream constantly. They always demand stuff. They pretend to be hurt to get what you want. Uh, they're everywhere and you can't get rid of their shit. That's actually... Really good summary, isn't it? Nicole Williamson, who uh, has been on this podcast, suggested a raven, the thick cluster of neck feathers called hackles, helps identify this bird as an Australian raven. I don't quite get all of that, Nicole, but, you know, I'll move on. David Smith thought the resentful fairy wren. Kind of like that, although Latham doesn't strike me as being delicate and fairy-like. He's a bit bit more bluff than that. Uh, thought... Force thought for us, uh, it's a Twitter handle, he suggested the cuckoo. Uh, brief but correct. The wrong nile said it'd have to be the rough, UWF, Yeah, I always confuse that bird with a dog, but there you go. Paris Lord, the shallow wader. I quite like that. But uh, Simon Hall wins this thing which is not a competition, so stop imagining it is. There are no prizes. There is actually a bird called Latham's snipe. Or uh, Galinago Hardwicky eye, also known as the Japanese snipe. Oh it's not really lathemy, is it? Uh it's a migratory snipe. Uh it's identified by its cryptically patterned back. Cryptically patterned black, brown buff and white plumage. Cryptically patterned. I don't know what that means. I'll have to decode that word later. Ha ha ha, did you see what I did there? Uh, it breeds mainly in Hokkaido and northern, northern Japan, smaller numbers on Honshu and the eastern Russian mainland and historically Sakhalin and the Kuril Islands. And the entire population migrates and spends the non-breeding season in eastern Australia. Uh, right. Um, it's omnivorous. It's a species of least concern, yes that's pretty much you can look you can there's not really a joke there you can read about that yourself on um on wikipedia um that would that would be the place to read about that wouldn't it yeah
3: mm-hmm.
1: before I wrap up, I want to mention uh, I really should have given this guy um, an elephant stamp, but we'll, we'll see how he goes on Saturday. This is Mike Hughes, nicknamed Mad Mike Hughes, who's a flat earther. There's a bit of a theme here today. And on Saturday, this Saturday, was it last Saturday? No, this Saturday, he plans to launch himself on his own rocket over the Mojave Desert uh, to prove that the Earth is flat. Um... His launch pad is repurposed from an, a used mobile home, uh, of course, a trailer, as they say in the United States, um, and and this is the first of of a series of, of demonstrations which will uh, prove that the Earth is flat. Uh, he's confident. I don't believe in science, you said. I know about aerodynamics and fluid dynamics and how things move through the air, about the certain size of rocket nozzles and thrust, but that's not science. That's just a formula. There's no difference between science and science fiction, he says. So eventually... Uh, He he will get himself into space, at which point he plans to take a photograph, quote, to prove once and for all that this Earth is flat. This is the king of the deceptions. Once this domino falls, this is it. I actually wish um, Mad Mike Hughes the best of luck in his endeavours because I, I think if anything needs proving, it's that the Earth is flat. Well, that's all the edict for now. As usual, there's notes on the podcast page at com. If you'd like to keep the podcasts going, com slash tip. The next episode will be, and I know this one, the afternoon of Sunday, the 17th of December, at a venue in West Ride or Epping or somewhere, TBA. Until then, I'm Stulgarian. Have a good one.
0: The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.